as you guys know, we've been reading through this book, preaching through this book for, for a number of weeks now. Yeah. And, and you know, my comfort zone is to take a block of scripture and just kind of preach through that block of scripture. That's like my favorite thing to do. I'm going to do, do a little bit different today. I just want to focus on one thing that I saw in Colossians chapter 4 that I could not get out of my head. Okay. And so if you have, have a little bit of grace for me, I don't usually preach like this, but we're going to give it a shot. All right, so this is Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to start off in verse 1. It says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now I'm just going to summarize this real quick. The block of scripture we didn't cover from chapter 3 is all about submission. And that's a tough thing for us to deal with today. And I thought a lot about just preaching all about submission today. <laughs> I, yeah, and I've kind of done it here and there, but I kind of want to do a whole day where we just talk about how it's a godly thing to be submissive. Right. And there's chapters in First Peter where Peter is talking about how we submit to all these things in life and how it's actually a godly thing. Because when we submit, we're actually taking on the very nature and character of Jesus. One of his key characteristics was his willingness to submit uh, to God, submit to his life to us. Anyway, so I... So maybe I'll plant that seed for later. Sure. But moving on into verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So for the first three chapters, Paul's laid out just a ton of theology. And what he's been trying to get them to see is how amazing Jesus is. That's like that's like the key theme of the book of, of Colossians. Because worldly philosophy and thinking had, had seeped into the church. Right? And I know I did this for a few weeks. I'm just kind of recapping here. But the reality is we've got to fight that stuff. And the way Paul fought it was saying, look, man, Jesus is greater than anything else in the world. Jesus in your life is the best way you spend your life. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus' philosophy and way of thinking is the best philosophy and the best way of thinking. Man, Jesus is incredible. That's the that's the like the anchor of the book of Colossians. And so now Paul is getting into instruction: what to do if Jesus is the greatest thing in your life. And like we preached on last week, if He's given us a chance to live a new, fresh life every single day, that we have the potential to be something different, to be more like Him. If we have that potential of renewal every single day, what follows that? What are the attitudes to follow that reality? And so in verse 5, and then here's, this is just what I couldn't get out of my head. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay, I read this. I couldn't get it out of my head. I was like, I've got to speak on it. I, I wanted to do a whole thing on submission. That was me. I realized, okay, God, I think God wants me to speak on time. Because it's funny. There's some things in life, we have so much of it, we feel like we'll never run out. Yes. For example, when you have a full tank of gas. Like, oh, man, I'm good. I'm going to floor it. i got to be an engine. I can pass this dude on the highway. Right? You get down to, like, the last quarter, your mentality changes about how much gas you have, right? You start thinking, ah, you know, I'll shift, I'm going to shift it into my standard mode and just try to squeeze as much. I'm going downhill. Let me just get in neutral and I'll just like squeeze a little bit of gas. Or here's a big one, right? Toothpaste. Somehow you get a, a week out of the, the bulk of your toothpaste and you spend two months on like the last one. just like yeah. squeezing it out, right? <laughs> you don't really You have so much you feel like you'll never run out. You get to that last little bit. It's like, man, I got to make the most of this. I think it's the exact same thing. With time. It's easy to think we've got so much time. Especially when you're younger, right? I've got so much time. I can do so many things. And you slowly start to realize how quickly time passes. 
So uh, something really, really exciting, you guys. Uh, Waverly and Joel are going to turn a year old in just a few weeks, right? That's crazy. Cody, thank you for clapping. It's amazing. <laughs> My son is about to be a year old. He's older in the world than, he, than how much time he spent inside Stacy. Like, that starts blowing my mind. It's like, okay, so when we first had Joel, even when Stacy was pregnant, uh, everybody, like everybody came up to me and said, man, you really got to savor each moment because it goes by so quickly. Right? Like, literally everybody told me that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, almost a year on, I'm starting to get it. He really has changed so much in one year. Yeah. And that's gone by so quickly. Right? He's starting to crawl around now, right? He's everywhere. He's getting into everything. We, we've totally childproofed the house now. And he's like trying to slam open these doors that we've locked shut. He's putting like dirt and garbage in his mouth. And like I'll be in the kitchen and he'll like sneak up on us. Ah, what are you doing there? Right? He's, he's moving around. It's almost like he's, he's becoming his own little person, right? He can do whatever he wants of us. That happens so stinking quickly. And so sometimes what I like to do is we have an app called the Family Album. You know, we, we resolved we were not going to be the people. If you're this person, that's okay. But we're not going to be the people to blast pictures of Joel on social media. Yeah. Right? We weren't going to be those parents. We don't want to do that. But we did want an outlet. Because, look, I saw millions of pictures of him. Right? So he's still there. So we wanted an outlet. And so we have an app called the Family Outlet. All right, so we can digitally add people to it, and, and just them can see the pictures. And we load that thing up with pictures, like probably too many. Uh, so many pictures. But sometimes when I got a minute, and I'm thinking about my son, I like sit there on that app and just kind of just go. I'll just scroll through, slowly going backward in time. And I eventually get to the day where he's born, and I'm just like, this is crazy. So I got some pictures. I'm gonna, you know, it's alright. Let's see the shot. Oh. This is a pretty recent picture of Joel. Look at that guy. He's got teeth in his mouth. My baby's got teeth now. You're all right? You know, he used to like want to suck on our thumb like not anymore, but it hurts now. I can't do that. Yes, he's a grown person. So we're just going to go backwards in time here. This is his first trip, his first time being in the ocean. Oh, wow. It's so much fun. He, he was, I was more of a baby than he was. I was in that water. Like, yeah, get me out of here. But he was having fun, playing around in it. This is a few months ago. This is at the beginning of summer, and uh, just randomly one day, I was like, I want to take, I want to take my motorcycle out on a ride. So I went out to Dexter Lake. Stacy, you know, works out with Lowell, as you guys know, and she just, she just got off work. And I was like, you know what? Let me call Stacy. My dad just told me, Danny, you got to save your time with your family. And so I was like, let me call Stacy. What's she doing? Maybe I'm over here at Dexter Lake. You want to come hang out with me for a while? So she brings Joel, because Joel goes to daycare at school. And man, this is just the perfect day to hang out. With and I, I cherish this. I took a picture of this. I sent it to my dad. Along with a picture of my motorcycle, and I was like, <laughs> you know, the, it was the first big ride of the summer. You gotta take the picture, all right? If you ride a motorcycle, it's like obligatory. I didn't post it anywhere, so you know. Uh, this is like he couldn't even hold himself up this quick. He wasn't sitting. He wasn't even sitting up, right? That's how so Stacy's like bracing him. <laughs> this is first time eating solids. Did not go well. <laughs> Wasn't a huge fan. Loves it now. I had another picture where he's like doing this because he's eating and he's disturbing how many it is. But I was like, I had no This is one of his first really bad, bad beer days. This one we were at home over Christmas. Um, yeah. Bad beer day. 
This is him when he's on his stomach. He's just trying to roll over for the first time. And the first time he did it, guys, I was fired up when he rolled over. <laughs> right? Because, you know, before he's crawl around, you know, they're just kind of flailing. And, you know. and actually, I kind of miss that stage, right? Because there's something about that that specific stage where you can interact with them, but you can also set them down and they won't go anywhere. That's really exciting. <laughs> so that's, that's not the case anymore. This is about a month old. He's just learning how to smile. The first time I saw a smile from my son, yeah, that was I'm telling you, that's different. This is the day after he's born. We're sitting in the hospital. He's always really alert. He was like, kind of had his eyes open, moving around. So this, and this is my favorite. This is one of my favorite moments in my life. I was just sitting there. Stacy had finally fallen asleep. She'd been up for like over two days straight. She was sleeping. I was with my boy. Hadn't slept yet, but still pretty happy. That's. But check this out. This is back to another one recently. It's crazy. That's a teenager right there. Look at that guy. Right? When you go from, from that to that, that's crazy. It's gone so quickly. And I think because I've been thinking about these things, when I read this verse, and Paul says, man, you walk in wisdom, making the best use of time, I'm like, okay, I'm really starting to get that now. It was crazy. Look, this even Psalm 90, verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days, all right, so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times, we don't like to think about the number of our days left. Right. Like, I mean, i got all the time in the world. Yeah. We don't want to face that existential crisis, man, I'm going to die. We don't like that. That's a scary thought. We want to stay away from that. I remember the first time I had, I was in 10th grade, I was in English class, I wasn't paying attention because I was a really bad student. I remember just like, drifting away and started thinking, man, I'm going to die. I had like this panic attack like, sitting there in English class. And the crazy thing is that was like a reoccurring thing with me. I'd have these panic attacks. Because I was just, man, I'm going to die. Right? And that hits you. And I even started experiencing that as a Christian, right? Even, even I was like, okay, I, you know, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be with God. But I'd still have these panic attacks. But like, what if? What if this is it? Right? For the longest time, I wondered why God would let me have those panic attacks. And I think, honestly, he lets us have those panic attacts because it's good for us to know that our life here is limited. I think that's really, really good. Psalm says if we can understand that our days are limited, we will have wisdom mm-hmm. about what? Those days we have left and how we yeah, spend them. Right. Sometimes we're a little more acutely aware of this than we are of other times. Sometimes just kind of the veil of life and busyness covers over us. Mm-hmm. And we forget, wow, my time here is limited. Mm-hmm. I don't got a lot of it. So it makes sense that the Bible would say, reckon with that. You need to know. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. You got to know that your days on this earth aren't forever. Yes, there's an eternity afterwards. There is. That's an amazing thing. But to, but to make the best use of our time here, we need to reckon that we don't have unlimited amount of time. Mm-hmm. Time is such a precious resource. Yeah, true. And in the context of this, of this book, where it makes sense that he put it here in chapter 4 to get into his instructions. Because he's painted in this huge, beautiful picture of Jesus is amazing. He's, he's better than anything in the world. He's giving you this chance to live a totally new life. Now make the most of that life. Make the most of that time. Specifically here. About how we treat other people. Walk in wisdom you know, towards outsiders. Consider how you speak, how you interact with people around you. Uh, there's other scripture on this in Ephesians 5. It's a little more general. It says, redeem the days because they are evil. It's a bit more of a general statement. Here he's talking explicitly about how we treat one another. But I think the general thing is also true in general. We should consider how much time we have and how we're using it. So here's my question. What can we learn 
about how Jesus used his time. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. I appreciate the patience. I don't usually preach like this. It's like more topical, but you know, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good to have variety. So Mark chapter 1, we're just going to get a glimpse into how Jesus spent his time. We're going to look at two days in the life of Jesus, probably. It's probably two days, a little bit in the life of Jesus. And I think this is a pretty good pattern for how he spent all of his time, not just these few days. I think this does a good job of painting the picture of what Jesus' life looks like here at the beginning of Mark. So in Mark chapter 1, I, I am going to read a chunk, so just stick with me. Let's enjoy reading the word together today. Man. Let's, let's read a chunk. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, uh, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and with the hired servants, and followed him. This word immediately, this actually happens a lot in Mark. I don't know why Mark thought specifically, I need to have immediately here, why the Holy Spirit was telling him to do that. But it does paint this picture that Jesus knew what he was doing. Now, Jesus knew he only had three years of ministry. And so, okay, I, I really think Jesus, like he had it all mapped out. He knew where he needed to go, when he needed to go. I think there's evidence for that in Scripture. He wasn't just kind of figuring it out. He knew, and he knew what he was doing. He had a plan for his time. The crazy thing is, we think we, if we're being honest, most of us in here probably think we have more than three years left. Yeah. Probably. But no days guaranteed. Right, right. I, 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 I want to refrain from getting too morbid here, but we don't even know. We, tomorrow could be it for us. Mm-hmm. But we see how Jesus acted when he had three years. I, I'm not trying to. What I, here's what I'm not trying to push when I when I talk about the. I'm not trying to just create this anxiety-induced uh, busyness with the kingdom. That's not what I'm trying to do when I point out the time I've left. I'll yeah. get more application later. Verse 21. And when they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for they taught him as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there is in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they question among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35, I told you, we're reading the chunk. And rising rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Verse 36, and Simon, uh, uh, Simon and those who were with him uh, uh, to search for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Okay, so we want to be disciples of Jesus, right? Amen? Amen. Part of that is dying to our old self, picking up the new self, 
and following Jesus daily. Amen, right? That's, that's what we're trying to do as disciples. And so when we read how Jesus uses his time, we need to consider how do I follow him and use my time like Jesus? Here's a couple things I learned from this chunk of scripture about how Jesus spent some of his time. He's been calling disciples, he's been preaching in synagogues, he's been healing, and he's been spending time with people. Right? Obviously, we see that because he's literally calling disciples here, and he goes to the synagogue. But guess what he does right after the synagogue? He goes home to hang out at a home with some, with some of the disciples, with some of the other disciples. He just goes to spend time at their home. And then at, while he's there, the mom's sick. He's like, okay, I'm going to heal the mom. All right, then they're spending time at the home, and then everybody dreams they're sick. He spends the entire night healing them. Right? Okay, and then the next morning he gets up early to pray because he wants to spend time with God. And then he, they, they come and find him. Like, man, people are looking for you. He's like, okay, well, let's go. People are looking for me. Let's go. We got to get out of here. We got to go preach. That's what I came here to do is preach the word. And so he went out through all the towns and, and he preached and he healed people. So I think we get a pretty good understanding of how Jesus liked to use his time. He liked to be close. He liked to rise up early to be close to God. Okay? He liked to call people to follow him. He called disciples to follow him. He would be very relational with those people. He would spend time with them, go to their homes, spend quality time with them. We saw this all the time. People would sit, eat meals, and that was a big part of his ministry. It was just being with people in quality time. Quality time with disciples and other people. And, of course, healing people, serving people, right? So, okay, do I want to spend my time like Jesus? Because I think we're being honest. It's not how we're taught to spend our time. Not doing all these things. Mm -hmm. You know what's crazy about the, the time we just saw Jesus spend? I don't think I once saw him do something that was just for him other than praying to the God. Yeah. That's pretty interesting to me. We, we've been talking about this a little bit in our singles ministry. How we are taught to, to protect our life, to raise up our life, set up our life for success, live life in a way that's going to benefit me. Yeah. The Bible's like not like that at all. Right. The Bible over and over tells us we live our life for others. Yes. For God primarily, but then also as servants, not just to God, but to the people around us. It's a pretty radical way of thinking. Yeah. It's about other people, not about me. Jesus spent his time for other people. Yes. That's crazy to me. Now he got his special time with God. I think that's really cool, really important. And in Luke, I'm forgetting the scripture, says he would often, it's not like this was a one-time thing, he would often withdraw to solitary places of prayer. That's really cool, man. I like that a lot. Yeah. Sometimes you can kind of get carried away and get this idea, well, Jesus was always on the move, and he was crazy, right? He had all this. Well, yeah, I think he did that sometimes, but we also often just want to be alone with God. Yeah. It's pretty cool to me. I, I like it. Got to see all sides of Jesus. And so I think there's a few ways we can learn that we can focus on how to use our, how to make the most of our time and how to use it like Jesus, other than some of the obvious ones. But, but I think number one is understanding our time is limited. I think that's key. We already read that scripture in Psalm. I kind of got ahead of myself there. But let's just read the scripture in James. I mean, you guys know it, but let's read it. Because to make the most use of our time, we've got to know that we don't have an infinite supply of it. We can't just yeah. throw it around however we want. Because mm -hmm. our time here is limited. So let's just read this one. I know you guys know it. James 4, verse 13. Come now, you can say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such town and spend a year there and try to make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. This is one of my favorite lines in the Bible. What is your life? It's like, all right, James, chill, right? Like, so what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
Imagine this, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James is so definitive, man. He doesn't think like, it's evil if he boasts. Right. It's crazy. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him is sin. We know that verse, and I think it's accurate. You can use that just like that. But when you combine it with the rest of this, he's like saying, look, man, how, how do you get it? Like, okay, you want to know the right thing to do? You think you think about it. Okay, what is God? If God wills that I'll do this. If I'm trying to think, okay, am I living to please God? Because I'll, I'll make, I can make my little plans, but James is like, what is your life? You don't know anything. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You barely remember what happened yesterday. What is your life? Are you living it for God? Are you trying to say, God, if you will it, this is what I hope to do. Is there that kind of surrender in your life towards God and how he wants you to live your life? To not have that view of our life that it is limited and we can't see the future, it's arrogant and evil. That's not me, guys. It's the Bible. It's arrogant and evil. We don't think of it like this. So to make the most use of our time, we have to get that we don't have an infinite amount of material. Right. We have to get that our days are numbered. Mm. And once we understand that, okay, then we can start thinking, okay, I need to think about how I need to be strategic here. I can't just kind of whatever and it'll get figured out. I need to think how am I going to use my time. Right. So I think if we're going to make the most of our time, we got to know our days are limited. Mm-hmm. Number two, I think we have to listen to the Spirit. I'm just going to reference a verse here. Another, this is, we, uh, we had an amazing uh, singles devotional at Rashawn's house this uh, Friday. Rashawn did a great job leading the discussion. It was out of this scripture, and it inspired me to put it here in the sermon. So thank you. I really appreciate that. It's uh, for, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. If you, look, if you guys are having a hard time memorizing the scripture, here's a really easy one. Verse 19 says, do not quench the spirit. That's it. That's the verse. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. There's your memory verse. Do not quench the spirit. So if we're going to make the most use of our, say the best use of our time, we've got to know it's limited. But then we also got to listen to the Spirit and how the Spirit wants us to use our time. It's easy for us to quench the Spirit. You know, that, that thing that can come up inside you. And, and it, you know, it can be, there's, there's a whole conversation on how you decipher that. But, you know, if, we were, if we're living transformed by, by the mercies of Christ and we're viewing uh, our life as God's and, and, and view that mercy, we discover who we really are. We can kind of discover God's will. I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, by the way. We can kind of get to understand his will. And I think it's there that we start listening to the Spirit, thinking, okay, God, what do you want me to do with my time? Here, here's some language that we use a lot. God, what are you putting on my heart to do? Do you pray that prayer in the morning? God, how do you want me to do what do you want me to do today, God? How do you want me to spend my time? I've only got so much of it, so God, I want I want to do with it as you will. How do I spend my time, God? What do you want me to do? We listen to the Spirit. I think sometimes we can kind of intuitive. I think sometimes we kind of know the Spirit's leading me in this direction. But, but that doesn't mean we always do what it says. I have the faith and the boldness to follow it, myself included. Man, if we're going to make the most use of our time, we've got to listen to the Spirit. We've got, we got to live in the way the Spirit's calling us to live. And man, I'm telling you, when you do that, when you're walking in the Spirit, I know there's times where I feel like I've been walking in the Spirit. Those are incredible times. I'm not talking about like this hyperactive, crazy Daniel, which probably, you know, you have license for thinking that's how I am. But like when, when, when I'm living in the Spirit, it's really awesome. It's kind of hard to explain. I don't know. It's, it's, but I definitely know when I'm, when I'm not listening to the Spirit, when I kind of ignore or shut off those things. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like... Oh, spiritually constipated when I do that. Right? <laughs> yeah. You can laugh at that, but it's true, right? It's, that's kind of how I feel. Maybe it's how we feel. 
So, okay, how do we, key thing, listening to the Spirit. The Spirit is a very mysterious person. And it is a person, right? The Spirit is called the EM person in the New Testament. So we can call the Spirit EM, right? The Spirit's a very mysterious guy. Sometimes I think we can over-mysterialize. That's not the word, but, you know, the Spirit. Look, the, God, the Spirit wrote the Bible. So how are you going to listen to the Spirit? I, I think he's reading the Bible. Oh, gosh, I know, guys. It's like the practicals always read your Bible. Okay, we get it. But that's actually how we listen. The Spirit wrote right. this down for us. Right. Right. We want to listen to the Spirit and read the Bible. Right. Sometimes I think, you know, look, I don't want to, because you can pray, you can meditate, the Spirit can speak to you, the Spirit can speak to you through somebody else. Absolutely, that's all 100% true. But sometimes I think we forget when we're reading the Bible, we're not just reading a book, we're listening to the Spirit speak to us. Yes. Definitively. Like, this is for sure. <laughs> Right? And so, you know, this can be a way, if you, if you feel like the Spirit's leading you to do something in your life, just check it with the Bible. Because the Spirit wrote the Bible, so that can kind of be a good way to, you know, work that out. Um, I think there's a lot of mistake going over in your Bible. I know, I know, I know. I'm in the ministry, I just think that. But if somebody put it, put it to me like this, Daniel, it's, it's actually a group, and Stacey's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But they were talking about, look, one of the most important things in reading your Bible is consistency. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times in our life we can confuse successful living as a disciple with high intensity yeah. sure. rather yeah. than steady consistency. Right. And I think I've seen that consistency has more of an impact in the long run. Right. You know, yeah. High intensity, yeah. high highs and low lows. Yeah. Definitely. Consistency yields more fruit, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, think, you know, I think about it like this. This brother is having a conversation with Douglas Jacoby. Some of you may recognize that name. He's a prominent teacher in our church. And, and he asked him one time, you know, Douglas, or Mr. Jacoby, I don't know how he talked to him. <laughs> I don't know how close they were, right? But how do you know so much about the Bible? Because Douglas Jacoby, he's gone on record saying he's read it over 50 times. You know, wow. He's read it a lot. Yeah. And, and Douglas Jacoby just said, I just read it every day. Yeah. I just read it every day. That's how I know so much about the Bible. I did the. I ran the numbers. I should have had like a slide for this. I'm really sorry. This would have been, you know, a lot more if you had the visual. But look, if you read the Bible every single day for the rest of your life, I, and I kind of did the numbers for me. I forgot what it was, but it was, you know, a few thousand, right? Now let's say I only read my Bible every other day. Instantly, that number is cut in half. That's we're talking every other day. What if, what if you read your Bible like once a week? Yeah. Boom, that number goes down way more. And you can apply this thing, not just reading the Bible, but to praying, relationships. When you decide not to do something, not to use your time to do something, you're in, in a consistent way, you're making a major decision. Yeah. Major. So that adds up over time. Right. All right, I'm, I'm going to move on. Okay, I, I think number three for making the most of our time is we've got to get out of our boat. Okay? Let, let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 14. This is one of my favorite scriptures, maybe even one of my favorite moments about Peter, right? This is Jesus walking on the water. Some of you probably know where I'm going with this, but let's go for it. Matthew chapter 14, and I just want to take, in verse 14, I just want to take a minute, um, sorry, not verse 14, verse 22. I want to take a minute, you know, it's easy to dog on Peter a lot, right? He's, he's a lot of Look, we're going to see something pretty amazing. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side 
while he dismissed the crowds. This is after he cut the 5,000. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. See, it's not one of the one-time things. Jesus did this, all right? When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Right? Verse 22, just take a second, just let that sink in. They're, they're in a storm, they're on a boat, they're like, what's going on? Where did Jesus go? They look out, they're like, Jesus? <laughs> like, just like walking across the ocean to them? That's a little crazy. Okay. Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. That's reasonable, all right? <laughs> Your first thought is, well, that's probably just Jesus walking on the water. And they're like, what is that? Is that a ghost? Right? Okay, this, this is crazy, you guys. The stuff the disciples went through is absolutely nuts. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. This is all conjecture, right? We don't know. But if I was Jesus, I'd be like, relax, guys, it's okay. It's me, Jesus, I'm not a ghost, I'm not coming to haunt you, just let me on the boat. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And uh, verse 29 he said, uh, if we're going to paraphrase this in our vernacular, bet. Right? So, again, I, I do these jokes where I get like half of the audience, but I try to make it up. And so G, Peter, like, this is bold, okay? I wouldn't have said this if I was Peter. Right here, we're seeing some faith in Peter. He's like, well, Jesus, if that's you, you tell me to come out, bro. And just like, all right, come out. He's like, uh, you got what you wanted, buddy. Uh, so Peter got out of the boat and walked uh, on the water. Now let's just stop right there. God, look. This is Peter. We can dog on Peter. Peter had enough faith to walk on water. Just put a little respect on Peter's faith, okay? He walked on water. All right? Just let that one sink in. Okay. So he uh, came to Jesus, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So Peter was walking on water. He was doing pretty good. But then what happened? He got afraid. Yeah. Now fear started to chip away his faith. Yeah. So he started sinking. And like any reasonable man, he's like, Jesus, come get me. <laughs> Don't save me. I'm, I'm in a storm. I'm drowning. I'm sinking. Come get me. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I'm like, no. Uh, verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him and said, oh, you little thing, why did you doubt? Oh, man. He sees Peter doing so good. He was walking on water. Dude makes a pretty bold uh, 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 statement or claims, like, Jesus, that's you all walking on the water. That's a pretty bold thing to yeah, say. Yeah. Jesus says, all right, come out. <laughs> Peter, with faith, gets out of the boat. Mm. Gets on the water and starts walking. So, so this is what I mean when I say, I don't want to, when we talk about time and how many days we have left, I don't want to drive us into some frantic, I've got to get busy with whatever and I'm stressed out now. I don't want us to have a fearful view of that, of that few days left. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the Bible wants us to be scared of how many days we have left. Yeah. Psalm 90 says we should be wise with what we have left. Right. Mm-hmm. We should be faithful with the time we have. I don't want us to just get crazy, like, oh, I'm going to die. What am I going to do? i got to do all this. No, no, no. I want us to soberly understand we don't have a lot of time left. With faith, God, if it's according to you, how can I make the most of this? How can I use what I've got left to serve you? Yeah. How can I do just a little bit of time that, that, 
but even in the grand scheme of things, let's say you're going to live another 40, 50, 60 years. Let's say that is you. In the grand scheme of time, that's nothing. It's nothing. So even if you think you've got the rest of your life, you've really got so little. And we've got to ask ourselves, God, how do I spend this rest of my life with faith? Following your spirit, listening to what you want me to do. Not treating it with fear and anxiety. Not quenching the spirit, putting it down. Oh, I better do this instead. But how is God calling me to live? How can I spend my days living like Jesus? So that's what I mean when I say faith out of fear. Because Peter got afraid, and he starts sinking. Mm-hmm. He's doing something incredible, guys. You've got to have faith. So this is what I mean. If we're going to make the most of our days, we get out of the boat. This is what I'm talking about. That we're like, all right, God, if you want me to do this. So that's us praying the prayer of the Spirit. Spirit, what do you want me to do with my life? I just want to follow you. I want to do your will. Because we can have those prayers, right? Right. But the question is, are we going to get out of the boat and act on them? Because the Spirit might tell us, man, I want you to go do this. Daniel, I want you to go serve this person on the street that you're a little bit intimidated by. You don't know if you should serve them or give them money or whatever. Daniel, I want you to go serve this person. I can be like, ah, I don't know. Maybe later, Spirit. Or if you like, you know what, okay, I'm going to live my faith and I'm going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. God, get out of our boat. And it's not just stuff like that. It's stuff, man, what is God putting on your heart to do for the kingdom? Can I give you one example? Kelsey has a huge heart for families. Kelsey, can I give this example? And so Kelsey's putting together a project for us. Guys, I really want to get behind her on this. Mm-hmm. She bought all those uh, totes, right? The black ones with the yellow lid from Costco or whatever. She, oh, she gave one to each of the family groups. Mm-hmm. And, and her, her hope is that we can once a month collect in those boxes from our family group to give stuff out to the poor. Right? Now, Kelsey's got a plan for when and how we're going we're gonna to do this, mobilize this. But she also had this idea of like, okay, once a month, she, what's the name of the place that we could go to once a month? Uh, community supported shelter. Community supported shelters. She's working out a deal with them where we can go once a month and just serve them there. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is Kelsey. God put something on her heart. She came to me. She's like, Daniel, I have an idea. Like, well, what do you think would have happened if I was like, nah. <laughs> nah, let's not do that. Don't speak your mind to me. No. Right. Right. <laughs> what is that, right? I want us to be like that, sure. She's like, it doesn't got to be me or the leadership doing something. What's God moving in your life, like putting on your heart to do? Right. Let's talk about it. See what I can do to help facilitate it. Get as many people on board as possible. Sure. But if God's putting something on your heart to do it, don't push that. Get out of the boat and do it. Because yeah. you might just walk on water. Mm-hmm. I don't think you think you can, mm-hmm. but you might just walk on water. Mm-hmm. Next time we go camping, I'm going to see people like trying to get out yeah. of the water. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, so I've got a video I'm going to show, and I never show videos. We're, getting, we're in a classroom, so let's take advantage of this. I saw this for the first time when I was like in high school. It blew my mind. Maybe some of you have seen it already. I think it's pretty cool. Does it automatically have a use? We have audio. There's one jelly bean for each day that the average American will live. You might have more beans in your life, or maybe less, but on average, this is the time we have. Here's a single bean. It's your very first day. 
a special day, but kind of a rough day on everyone involved. Add 364 more and you have the first year of your life. Now, for a sense of scale, here are your first 15 years, 5,475 days, which brings us to the threshold of adulthood. And at that moment, this is the time that we have left. And this is, on average, what we will do with all that time. We will be asleep for a total of 8,477 days. If we're lucky, some of that time we'll be sleeping next to someone we love. We will be in the process of eating, drinking, or preparing food for 1,635 days. We'll be at work, hopefully doing something satisfying for the equivalent of 3,202 of those days. 1,099 days will be spent commuting or traveling from one place to another. Maybe a little bit more if you live in LA. On average, we will watch television in one form or another for a total of 2,676 days. Household activities, like chores and tending to our pets and shopping, will take another 1,576 days. And we will care for the needs and well-being of others, our friends and family, for 564 days. We'll spend 671 days bathing, grooming, and doing all other bathroom-related activities and another 720 days will go to community activities like religious and civic duties, charities, and taking classes. After we remove all those beans, this is what remains. This is the time that we have left. Time for laughing, swimming, making art, going on hikes, text messages, reading, checking Facebook, playing softball, maybe even teaching yourself how to play the guitar. So what are you gonna do with this time? How much of it do you think you've already used up? If you only had half of it, what would you do differently? What about half of that? How much time have you already spent worrying instead of doing something that you love? What if you just had one more day? What are you gonna do today? Okay. I show that, not just you, just like freaking out. Right? That might be some responses. That's, that was me when I first saw this like high school, right? I was like, oh my gosh, I should have done Right? But I think, God, I've only got so much here. Teach me how to use it like your son will. Show me how to use it like Jesus would use this time. It's funny, he mentioned that one. How many days you spend worrying? How many days do you think about what, what God, instead of actually acting on that knowledge? There's a whole argument in Colossians, man, when you really understand what it is, you say, that changed. So we've only got so much time. Let's try to use the way Jesus Let's use it following the Spirit, living that life to the full that He promised us, rather than being caught up. Look how many things in that video were just random garbage, right? We spent so much time wasting. So, what we're going to move to this right here. Here's what I want us to do I want, I want us to consider. How do we start doing this? How do we start living like this? Making the most of our time. Second Corinthians, this is me in my favorite scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, and behold, the new is come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us that ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, 
and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are Christ's ambassadors. For Christ, uh, for God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to reconcile with us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we experience that reconciliation of Jesus, which should only be done through the cross, we start to view people a little bit differently. Man, I don't regard you guys the way I used to think about you. I don't think about, I don't think about things the way I used to, right? You know, that's not what I'm thinking about, right? It's like, you know, that's not blind it, but it's like you do things differently when you're in this communion with God. Let me reverse engineer it. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died, therefore all have died. And he died for all those who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. We've got to get, we've got to center ourselves in that love. That motivation comes from us situating ourselves under the cross and getting that Jesus loves us. And when we really get that love, I call that gospel, right? When you really understand the gospel in your life, it grips you. That's what that word compels me to. It really means grasped. It means controlled. That's what it means. It gets you. Changes the way you do life. We can't do this unless we're situated on the cross of Christ. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can have some crazy motivation, just like you're going to get out and do a thing. But but at the end of the day, that either leads to being burnt out or self righteousness. Yeah. No, no, no. Situate yourself on the cross of Christ. Be motivated by that love. Now I'm different. I have a new life. I believe this differently. Let's pray.